Okay, well, let's, uh, let's open things up with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we again thank you for this time that we might consider and comment on the word and this glorious doctrine of the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ and and the, the profoundness of it. And we pray that you would bless our time. May it be profitable and edifying. In the name of Christ, amen. Okay, so I think, um, I think we all were here, at least most of us were here for the first session. And uh, so we'll continue our study of the doctrine of Christ's uh, humiliation, um, considering some of what our Lord underwent for our redemption as it is presented in Westminster, our shorter catechism question and answer 27. So just to uh, reorient, reorient us, I'll go ahead and, and just read uh, question and answer 27, and uh, as I have it printed out in your handout as well. So question 27 asks, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. So again, Christ's estate or condition of humiliation uh, spanned the the period of time from his incarnation uh, to his burial. And uh, during our last Sunday school session, uh, we began to look at the first, the first few aspects of uh, the answer to that question. So uh, firstly, just as by way of review, we discussed the fact that he was born. The first aspect of that answer was that the second person of the Trinity, the divine logos, the the divine word takes on flesh, right? The creator takes on a human nature with all its limitations. It's profound that the the Lord of glory, the, the creator, giving up his rights and privileges, he, as John tells us in his prologue to his gospel, he tabernacles among us, among man, as true man and true God, the God-man. And he becomes a bondservant, as uh, we looked at in the Philippians 2 passage. He becomes a bondservant for us and for our salvation. So that, that first aspect we discussed, such a profound, profound aspect of his humiliation. And it wasn't that he just became man, that he took on a human nature, but our Lord came in a low condition, and we, 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 we talked a little bit about his low condition, his coming into this world in a low social situation, right? Born to Emmanuel Laborer, Joseph the carpenter, from a small insignificant town, his first bed being a manger, his first visitors being lowly shepherds. And then thirdly, we looked at the fact that he was made under the law, another just profound 
aspect of his humiliation. The lawgiver by right, the, the one who has the right to command men and angels, he puts himself in subjection under the law of God by nature as a man. And as one born into the house of David, the house of Israel, he is under the Mosaic law, right? A law that presupposes sin, a law made and given to sinful people. So thus far we have considered uh, Christ's humiliation. So we're going to proceed with the last few aspects of answer, uh, the answer to question 27. And firstly, it, it mentions undergoing the miseries of this life. So the, the, the humiliation of Christ consists of him undergoing the miseries of this life. So I just want to open things up. What, what, can, we, what can we comment about, about this? Uh, what are we talking about when commenting about the miseries of this life that Christ undergoes? Steve? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's just profound that um, he, as, an, as a true man, he undergoes all of those, those miseries, right? As you mentioned, he's, you know, he gets tired. The, gospel, the Gospels refer to him getting tired and, and becoming weary and having to, to rest. He, he gets hungry, you know, like, as we do, and, and he participates in all of those aspects of, of, of weakness. Anything else? We see yeah. in Psalm 22, he's made as a worm. Yeah. He is despised. <laughs> it says in uh, Isaiah 53, he's despised. Yes. Accepted a man's power right. with an acquaintance yes. of grief. That the man of God, we did not even look upon yeah. him, that he is yes. to a pole before that is countenance. Yes. And uh, what he goes through as far as Isaiah 53 mm. says. Yeah, certainly the, you know, you mentioned the, 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 the passion. Uh, and um, and all the the miseries of of that uh, immense torture and, and death at, at Golgotha. Yes. No. Just to reiterate what King said, we see in the temptation of Christ by Satan. He's a man who hungers and thirsts. You yes. Know, passing into the desert, and Satan tempted him with yeah. bread. We see him as the son of man ministering. He didn't have a home. He wandered throughout the countryside preaching mm. the message, and then furthermore. He had disciples, even though he loved them. He had someone who came and betrayed him. He knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, the Son of Man had to bear a lot. Yeah. 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 Certainly, I, you mentioned that the the temptation. You know, we often think of the temptation as that that trial that he went through. You know, with uh, with with Satan, and but we you know we need to understand the temptation temptation that he underwent was really you know a, a lifelong. A lifelong thing, and that was, you know, a real, a real big aspect of, of undergoing the miseries would, would be, as a man, you know, being subjected to all of the, the temptations uh, that we would be, yet, yet without sin, right? Yes, Frank. Yes. Well, well, the other thing is, is that night in Gethsemane, uh, the word Gethsemane, Gethsemane is a place where they went ahead and they pressed. The owls out to squeeze the oil out. 
Gethsemane means to be pressed out. Mm. He was so pressed out with knowing mm. the terrible, I mean, I had a minor accident, I cut my finger. Right. Or any of us have a minor problem, unforeseen comes up and it's just a terrible tragedy. He, he knew, he knew this Gethsemane, why he was praying and sweating great drops of blood. He knew what was going to happen to him after the Sanhedrin uh, violated all their laws. Mm. And they were plucking his beard, yeah. to tell you. Slapping spit at him mm. on the mains. And then the Romans, the Romans beat him so bad that, as, that Isaiah says his face didn't look like a man's. Yeah. And then when he hit him, when he took him and they scourged him, uh, the scourging usually was enough to just about kill him. Right. Yeah, it's he, yeah, they, horrendous. I was just reading the book and I going into it and talking about a doctor explaining what it did to you. It was those about faith. And people, I didn't understand originally when he said about one of the miracles on the cross was that he cried out in a loud voice. And the guy brought it out. He said, after you've been scourged and beaten like that and hanging on a cross and your blood is just about gone. Where do you get the strength to cry yeah. with a loud voice? This is part of America. Yeah. But he knew all this going yeah. into it. Yeah. And that's why he cried out, if it father, if it be yeah. thy will, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, yeah. thy will be done. Yeah. But he knew what he was going to go for. Right, right. Yeah, certainly, you know, Gethsemane, he is, you know, the... Mark, Mark uh, 1434 says he was, you know, he's quoted as saying, I am sorrowful even to the point of death. Yeah. Um, this was real anguish. And I think, you know, part of that, it was knowing what he was facing, knowing perfectly well what he was going into. And the loneliness of that, doing that alone, you know, being the, being the, the only one who could do that, right? Right. His, his disciples desert him um, at the end. He is rejected. As, 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 a, as a prophet, as, as Israel's Messiah, he's rejected, he's reviled, he's falsely accused. All of these things, all of these miseries came upon him that are, you know, common to us in, in many ways. We've, you know, so often, at points, we, we, have, we may have been falsely accused of things that we, we know we didn't do. And, you know, feeling that, that sense of, of uh, being wronged, you know, he must have felt it, you know, so, so pointedly. Um, let's see. Anything else we can we can say about the, the these the miseries? Um, I think you know another one is um, the when he is grieving over Lazarus. I think that that again is is just is just marvelous that he is you know just as we would in, in our human nature grieving the loss of. Uh, of, of a loved one or a friend, you know, he feels that too, uh, very pointedly. Um, and of course, the, the immense sufferings, the physical sufferings that, that Frank was alluding to, you know, at the hands of, at the hands of the Romans and then, and then uh, at Golgotha. Um, it's just profound. And anything else we want to say about the, these, uh, these miseries? All right, and then of course the uh, the next aspect that we'll focus on is the the wrath of God, the the humiliation consisting of the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross. 
So Philippians, Philippians 2.8 says, Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even, even the death of the cross. And uh, really denoting the, not only the, the, the cruelty of, of the cross, of the, the method of, of, of crucifixion, um, but really the, um, the ignominity of it. Um, certainly crucifixion was not even uh, a suitable for, for Roman citizens. It was reserved for the worst of, of criminals. So certainly it, it was uh, you know, cruel and uh, infamous uh, you know, for that cruelty. But what, um, if we could comment on you know, the, the fact that it was a cursed death, what, um, what are we referring to when we talk about the cross as a cursed death? Okay. Yeah, Steve, you, you want? It's in the, the, the law, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the proof, the proof text for, for, you know, part of this answer, uh, you know, comes from, from Galatians. Galatians 3, 13, where Paul, you know, Paul is quoting, he quotes from, the uh, the text in Deuteronomy that that, that uh, mentions the, the the curse of being hanging on a tree, but let me just read uh, from Galatians three, uh, ten to fourteen, just to uh, just to get this in our minds. So Paul writes to the Galatians in uh, chapter three, verse ten: For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And here's the verse here, uh, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ redeeming us by becoming the curse for us. And uh, that is a reference. He's referencing the the law there, that passage in Deuteronomy 21, which mentions that if uh, someone is is executed for a capital crime, and his body is is hanged on a tree. It, that is was designated a cursing by God, and Paul essentially is, is telling us that Christ is dying this criminal's death, taking the curse of the law of our law breaking on Himself, and it's uh, just a profound, profound aspect of the humiliation. Um, the, the, you know, the picture really is Christ as the Lamb of God bearing the sins of his people, carrying our iniquity in his body, making atonement for his people, right? Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, the one who knew no sin becomes sin. I think in a parallel text, he's becoming a curse for us. And 
he is numbered with the transgressors and dies a criminal's death. So the cursing is, uh, you know, certainly in the, the plan of God, Christ becomes the curse for us on the cross and uh, absorbs God's wrath to the point where he cries out, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And again, Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was certainly in the plan and foreknowledge of God, and um, Christ is undergoing this tremendous aspect of of humiliation for us and, and for his people, being that atoning sacrifice. Okay. Is right. Do we want to comment on it? Anyone have a, a meal? I find it interesting that in the Old Testament, whenever God shows his judgment upon the nations, there's language of the stars stop giving their light, the sun and moon coming down. We see that very literally in the case of Christ. When Christ is on the cross, the sun stopped giving its light, darkness covered the land. And so we see the judgment yeah. language that God reserves for the nations, for yeah. the world order, when he comes and visits judgment yeah. upon them. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I just want to bring out the, the wrath of God uh, was a problem here with one person, and then on the street, they really have a problem with that to understand the wrath of God, and that the wrath of God is an expression of God's hatred to sin, yeah. you see. And yeah. what basically happens is the expression of God's punishment for sin and the wrath of God mm. finally manifests itself mm. in uh, hell. And I really yeah. don't like to go on the street yeah. and uh, warn the people yeah. of uh, this hell that yeah. is to come, but uh, the great Ted Donnelly from Northern Ireland, who I've heard preach three times, mm. came with four sermons on this doctrine mm. of hell. And what Frank was bringing out Two things. One, um, you know, I think it's important that we we, we, we keep in mind that, you know, his experience, you know, Christ's experience of the wrath of God, um, certainly its intensity and the height of its intensity was at the cross, but um, really his whole life, um, you know, certainly he was he was bearing and tasting of that wrath. Just just in the fact that he's coming into a fallen world. 
um, that is sin-cursed. He's interacting with sinful people. And so he, he's, he's, there is a sense in which he's interacting and bearing and tasting of that wrath even you know, up into the point of, of Golgotha. But that's where it really, it, the intensity of it really factors in. Um, yes, yeah, so the, I mean, the wrath of God is, is, is reality. Um, you know, certainly the, the wages of sin is death. Um, and certainly the New Testament speaks of God's wrath on the world and coming at the, the judgment. I, don't, I think it's hard to get, get around those texts that, that speak of the impending you know, wrath that is to come that Christ has saved us from. I'm thinking of 1 Thessalonians 1.10. He has redeemed us um, and has saved us from the wrath that is to come. So, um, you know, God is, God is rightfully wrathful, you know, to, sinful, to a sinful world. And it is only that Christ, our covenant head, right, the, the head of the church, has absorbed that wrath that we are, are saved from it. See, you know, the yeah. people that coming, they don't come any longer. We're drawing that out with like the Father and the Son. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, the idea, one, one common objection to this idea of, of vicarious substitutionary atonement is that, wow, this, this really sounds like cosmic child abuse. The Father, the Father is taking out his, his wrath, his, his anger, on his son, and that just sounds, that sounds terrible, that sounds unfair, and, and uh, I mean, how could we, how would we uh, address that, that kind of objection? What, what could, where, where would we start by uh, addressing that kind of objection? Because that is a very common one. What's that? I'm just asking the question, I'm, there's a, the common objection to the idea that Christ is subjected to the wrath of God is that, wow, that seems like, uh, you know, that almost sounds like child abuse. The, the father is punishing his son, uh, you know, unjustly because he, he's innocent and he's, and he's absorbing this, this wrath. And it just sounds like something very unjust and, and very something that God would not do. How would we begin to, to address that? Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's the father's love that is compelling this. Okay. How? What, what else? What else could we? What else could we say? Kristen. That's great. That's I think where we need to where we need to go to begin to to address that. Address that. Let me just hear it, Frank. We have to understand that when Adam fell, yeah. he did exactly we would have done exactly the same thing. Not one of us right. 
no matter how many times he did it, would have fell and did the something, and there's not yeah. one of us that can therefore atone for our sins. Yeah. We all came from Adam after he had sinned, we inherited sin, and we do the same thing over yeah. again. So the only way that could personally pay for this is God himself. The only way he yeah. can do it by sending his mm-hmm. own son, who is the perfect Adam, mm-hmm. right. who can mm-hmm. bear mm-hmm. this here, this, this the mm-hmm. wrath of God, mm-hmm. and still survive it. Right. Okay. So God... Jesus is doing us yeah. a kindness, and God is doing us a kindness, and pouring it out of the sun. You yeah. pour it out me, all you do is I'll be destroyed. Right. Right. So it's not. It's not a vengeful thing. Right. It's really an act of grace. Right. I think. Um, I think uh, Kristen's comment that you know we need to go back to to the Trinity to to time you know the time of eternity past where. You know, it wasn't that, you know, Jesus was, um, you know, forced into this, into this, uh, you know, role as, as, uh, as, the sac- as the sacrifice for sin. This was something voluntary, something that um, he agreed to do, you know, from all eternity. Um, you know, uh, the Gospel of John talks in, in various places about how Jesus was, you know, with the Father from all eternity, and in essence... He is on mission, you know, from the Father, willingly taking on this role. So it's not something that he's being forced into, but this is a voluntary condescension. He's very God of very God, as we, you know, looked at in Philippians 2. So it's not that he's in any way, uh, you know, lesser to the Father in his essential being. And this is something that he's agreed to do from all eternity. So it's not, it's not a, a sense in which he's being you know, forced or, or abused. Yeah. The uh, thing basically here is that God has promised to punish sin. We've got to go to uh, Genesis 3.15 with this delivery, you see, and what takes place there is I will put enmity between you and the woman. So basically, you went there, which was great, before eternity, you see, and then showing the deliverer mm-hmm. is going to come and uh, starting off with that, what takes place there with uh, the punishment that's going to take place because here he's yeah. waiting to punish sin. All these centuries are going by. Sure. God's character is going to be right. vindicated at right. the cross at Calvary sure. yep. where the wrath of God yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Sure. Yeah, I mean all of the, you know, all of the sacrifices of the the old economy, the Old Testament economy, certainly it's very hard to argue that they were not vicarious sacrifices. In essence, the, the sins of the people were put on, on, on these animals. Um, and, you know, certainly pointing to Christ as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Um, but I think, um, yeah, that, that's good. I appreciate that comment, um, Rob, because, uh, you know, it's certainly, you know, God is just and justifier. He must punish sin. But, you know, getting back to the idea of, of Christ being abused or, you know, abused as a child, it, you know, he was voluntarily in this role from all eternity, right? 
and that's the way we can proceed to, to answer that objection. Yeah. Well, when you talk about child abuse, what is going on? We have someone who is strong, ought to be looking out for the good of someone who is yeah. weak, abusing that authority and going beyond. When child abuse happens, it yeah. might well be that the child is justified in getting some punishment, but what happens is the adult has gone beyond what were the bounds. Now, you were talking about some aspects, this is the Trinity. Yes. We're not talking about God the Father being a father figure and Christ the Son being a son. Yes. They are two co-equal divine beings who are from eternity. Yes. They are subordinate to one another, but they are equal in being. Yes. So it's not an equal in adult child sort of sense. And yes. likewise, the punishment that Christ suffers is perfect justice. God does not inflict any more wrath on the Son of God than is necessary to satisfy his justice. It's not going beyond the appropriate punishment. Yes. It's not an abusive situation. Yes. Christ bears exactly the punishment necessary yes. for sins. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's great. And he was the only one, only candidate who could do that because any other, any mere man, you know, would, would, would have been, you know, tainted by sin and, in essence, owing that debt to begin with. But, but Christ could, could fulfill that role as vicarious substitute, uh, you know, for his people. Um, yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, there's a lot that could be said, I mean, tremendous amount that could be said about this aspect, but I just want to move on to the, to the, last, the last aspect of um, the answer to question 27, which is that Christ's um, humiliation consisted in his being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. So it's interesting to think about, um, you know, why, why, why did he have to be buried and spend three days in, in a tomb? Why couldn't he have, you know, if he had, when he had expired on the cross, why, why couldn't he have been immediately resurrected? What, what's the significance of being buried, you know, in connection with the um, humiliation? Let me just get to Paul quick. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm learned to be sure that he really died. Yeah. His work yeah. that he will be buried. Hmm. And yeah. So fulfilling essentially prophecy, you know, Christ as as our you know great prophet, um, fulfilling that prediction and and um, you know certainly when we think of that, he 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 echoes Jonah, you know, the, the story of Jonah and he's in he's in the 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 belly of the fish, you know, just as, as, as uh, Jonah was in the belly of the fish, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So certainly fulfilling prophecy. Uh, yes. Uh, any, anything else? Yep. Old Testament prophecy? Yes, absolutely. Any, anything else we want to bring out? Steve, did you have? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't die that well, he had to say, say that again. See. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, there are, we, we, we could go other places as far as fulfilling prophecy. I mean, you know, what comes to mind is, uh, you know, Isaiah 53 speaks about how he, in his death, he is buried, he is buried, you know, with the rich, and that's fulfilled in, uh, you know, the fact that he's, he's buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, which is, you know, this was a, a wealthy, prominent man. Right, exactly, too. This was a, right, it was a brand new tomb, right? Um, yeah, I think um, the, reality of, the reality of the death, he, he's buried, you know, really, I think it emphasizes the reality of it, you know, the sting of it, the reality of it. Um, yes, exactly. And that, that's the other thing I want to... Right, certainly. And he, as, as, a true, as a true man with a true human nature, body and soul, he experiences that separation of body and soul, which... Uh, is really unnatural, you know, to us as we were created. We were um, always created to be body, soul, that that that, that unity. Uh, that so. What you were saying that I found out that uh, I've been looking at your course for a long time that I've been circles in the biotics, and that uh, I found out that if you walk on the atonement, elder, you're going to be walk on everything. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, I mean, yeah, apart from, I mean, apart from the substitutionary atonement, um, it's really hard to fit all of the, the pieces of biblical theology together, and particularly, you know, the, uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system, you know, certainly. Um, I mean, j- just, just another aspect that, that um, you know, just think about the, the significance of Christ being being buried, being put put into into the ground, so to speak. Um, it's just profound that the Creator, you know, the, the Creator of heaven and earth, in his in his uh, in his divine essence, in his divine um, nature, you know, Christ is buried in the very dust that you know He made us out of. Just just think about that for a second. He is buried. In the very dust that he made us out of, and um, you know, as we were to have dominion over the earth, you know, death in in one sense is that idea of the earth taking dominion of us as we as we return, you know, to dust. So it's just profound. And as Frank said, Christ goes through really every aspect of our humanity, and thus able as our great high priest to sympathize with us in every aspect, every point of, of human life, in every struggle, in every weakness. He tasted it, you know, even to the point of, of uh, a horrendous death on the cross and, and then being buried. All right, so any other questions or comments before we... Uh... Janet. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, it, in the sense that I mean, certainly, he didn't become sinful personally, but it was something that was imputed to him. 
Um, and Sure, imputed to him. Um, it wasn't as if he became sinful, but I, what I think it, you know, really needs to be brought out is he, he felt the weight of our guilt, and you know, he was forsaken by, by God for us. Um, I, think it's, I think it would be dangerous to talk about Christ becoming sinful, um, really and truly. Anybody have uh, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Romans 8 really yeah. showed that out in verse, about eight, verse uh, 5 where it says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not into the flesh but into the spirit yeah. the Lord the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free the Lord would not do we can do the flesh yeah. God sending his son yes. in the likeness of sinful yes. flesh for yes. sin yes. he did indeed condemn sin in the flesh yes. we are at, at the cross yeah. the Lord was Yeah, listen, the idea of one person with two natures, the idea of in his human nature, he's, you know, really the picture is he develops as any other human being would. You know, I mean, think about Luke 2 and those those references to him growing in wisdom and stature, uh, you know, grace and favor with God and man. Um, I think we need to, you know, keep that reality in mind. It's, it's, it's a tremendous mystery how how you know, the hypostatic union, as it's called, you know, the one person with these two natures. We don't have any analog in our experience, but um, it's a profound mystery, but it is, you know, what the scriptures really present. And I think, um, you know, there, there's a tremendous amount of mystery uh, to that. So let me just close. We're, we're, our time is up, but we'll, we'll close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time, and we pray, Lord, that you would, Father, uh, use... Lord, these thoughts and, and comments concerning this, this deep and wondrous doctrine to uh, truly penetrate our hearts and minds and that we would uh, be humbled and, and really struck with awe at the, the depths that you would go to in the person of your Son to secure our eternal redemption. Father, may it transform us. May we become Christ-like in our thoughts and and take on that spirit of Christ and that mind of Christ that would be humble and uh, of service to you and to your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.